As we continue on in our series, The Church's Diaspora, we're going to be doing two things this morning. First, we're going to look at a biblical perspective uh, on the current social injustice in our society from the Apostle James, as well as the Apostle Peter, as they minister to the first century. What can we learn from that here in the 21st century? And secondly, we're going to take a brief look at a case study. There's um, many voices, one voice in particular from this past week who spoke up um, and said that the church needs to repent before the world. The church uh, is needs to be positioned to be um, in a place of judgment before the world for how she's been handling herself um, during this current uh, social unrest of injustice. And uh, we're going to look at some of the problems that arise from that. So let me go ahead and open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we pray for your perspective uh, this morning. We pray that um, during our, our time of society that is polarized, uh, where there's a lot of hate, a lot of division, that um, you would reach us with the gospel, that people would be brought together as one through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray the same prayer of the Apostle Peter, Lord, who um, prayed that may grace and your peace be multiplied in our lives. And we pray that for our church and for any who are listening here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to start with a perspective, uh, some of the dialogue that our church has been going through over the past few weeks as we've been looking at um, uh, the social unrest in our society. And as we do that, uh, I want to look at three metaphors that have uh, we've been exploring in our church. The first is the division be- between black and white. The death of George Floyd uh, about a month ago has ignited a worldwide protest. There's been protests in all 50 states, six continents, hundreds of thousands of people uh, protesting, some of them rioting, um, some of the biggest social unrest that we have seen in our lifetimes. And uh, what that has shown to us and reminded us of is that the human soul is broken, it's fractured, as well as society is uh, broken and fractured. Um, The image of God was damaged beyond repair in the fall of Adam and Eve, and we all inherited that. And instead of replacing uh, the broken image of God with an idealized image of man, uh, the Bible actually teaches that we should address the broken image of God within us with the image of Christ as we surrender into his life. And we are in a place right now of great disruption in our society. Uh, people are marching, they're demanding change, they're dialoguing, they're listening to each other at a level that uh, we have rarely seen. And there's a lot of good that can come out of that. Uh, but people are feeling angry. They are uh, wanting to uh, share that the pain, pain that they have uh, gone through. And um, we're wondering, will society come together? And for the church, that would be through the Lord. Or will society tear itself apart and uh, descend into chaos? And that's where we're at as, as a culture right now. And I think it's a, an excellent time to look at the, uh, the teaching of the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter during this time of uh, the disruption and dispersion of the coronavirus event and the church is scattered and we're seeing all kinds of disruption, um, injustice being one of them. What did the Apostle James, what did the Apostle Peter say to the early church that can help us during this time? We're going to look at four teachings, four encouragements Uh, four principles that both of these apostles gave to help us through this time of injustice. We're going to ask the question of how can we as followers of Jesus Christ uh, uh, respond to the injustice in our society in a way that's consistent with how these early apostles encouraged the church, how God spoke through them uh, to respond to injustice in a God-honoring way. So let's take a few moments to do that. Um, If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to uh, James 
and uh, the epistle of First Peter. The Apostle James and the Apostle Peter uh, wrote to early believers, and they said that they were uh, going through a time of various trials that grieved them. They were fiery trials. They described um, the audience that they were writing to, the, the dispersion Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And they were suffering from uh, Roman persecution. They were suffering from um, unjust situations in their workplace. Many of them were in mixed spiritual marriages. They had a uh, believing spouse with an unbelieving spouse. And uh, they were under satanic attack. They were going through many trials, many sufferings, persecutions, and injustice during this time. And the Apostle Peter said that um, we should suffer for righteousness' sake. And uh, we uh, are many of the believers he was writing to were suffering unjustly. And that if we're going to suffer, let us suffer for righteousness. And so let's take a look at uh, two things that the Apostle James taught that we should be focusing on during this time as well as two things that the Apostle Peter wanted us to focus on. Um, let's look at this first um, teaching that the Apostle James tells us to focus on during times of injustice in our society or injustice towards us, is that we should pray. James said in James chapter 5, verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Let him pray if you're suffering Pray, pray to the Lord. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, they wrote to believers who uh, were suffering under many trials. They were spiritually sick uh, through their own sin. They were being attacked by Satan and they were suffering and uh, going undergoing many forms of injustice uh, during this time. And uh, this was modeled by Jesus Christ. When he faced injustice, when he was rejected by Israel, when he was persecuted uh, by Rome to be put on the cross, uh, before that happened, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he went to the garden, he prayed to his father and he said, uh, Father, uh, if it be your will, let this cup pass, but your will above my will. He, Jesus did not want to have to face the cross, but he submitted his will to his father in heaven. But he prayed, he prayed amidst the injustice that he was facing. And um, I think this is where our, real, our response to injustice really needs to start is with prayer. Um, we have been um, meeting on Sunday mornings in downtown LA, Little Tokyo, uh, because we wanted to be um, the Lord's people right in the middle of what was happening. And we're going to start uh, a new prayer time starting next Sunday, June 28th. Um, this is invited, or actually um, next Saturday, June 27th. And we're going to be doing this on Saturday mornings going forward from 8.30 to 10 in the morning. We're going to be praying together, praying through the city, praying on a prayer walk. As we walk throughout Little Tokyo, um, it's right on the border of Skid Row, as many of you know. You can see City Hall, um, and it's right in the downtown L.A. area. And we're going to be going on an hour and a half prayer walk at 8.30 in the morning uh, on Saturday morning, starting next Saturday, where we're going to be praying for the local businesses. We're going to be praying for the homeless on Skid Row. We're going to be praying for um, the governing authorities at City Hall. We're going to be praying for um, the people who are facing evil and or even people who are perpetrating evil through this event and praying that they would turn to the Lord and cast their anxiety upon the Lord and turn in salvation and, and, and to follow him. So uh, we think that prayer is uh, the, the starting place for dealing with injustice. I think it's so important. Many of you have been coming out to our Wednesday night prayer meetings uh, where we meet from seven to eight at night every Wednesday. 
And uh, we've been praying for each other in our own struggles. A lot of believers in our community were struggling because we've been separated for so long and feeling a sense of spiritual weakness or um, uh, struggle. And so it's a great opportunity. Small groups come out and, and we pray together on Wednesdays. We pray for one another. We pray for our country. We pray for uh, people and, and to come to know the Lord and the Lord to bring healing to our land. Very important. Um, third example of prayer right now, very important amidst injustice. Um, I have a pastoral support group, three godly men in our church. They're kind of like David's mighty men that surrounded David. And uh, I meet with them. I talk with them about once a month. We pray together, um, but they mostly pray for me. What I'm going through um, personally as a pastor, uh, pray for my family. And it's just been such a blessing. I've been undergoing some uh, persecution, some injustice in my personal life um, outside of my own family. Um, and so they just prayed for me last night. And it was just fantastic. But I just really want to encourage you when you're going through times of injustice, whether uh, you personally or those around you, start with prayer. James says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. A second thing that the Apostle James says is that we should have patience. In James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Uh, I love this because James reminds us of so many uh, good things and uh, of what we are to do, uh, what our posture we are to take during um, injustice. And this is what uh, Jesus did as well. He, um, he had patience. You know, he had patience amidst all the injustice that was coming to him. And out of the Lord's example, the Apostle James reminds us that we too should have patience. Because, and he gives four reasons in this passage. Number one, because the Lord is going to return. Um, Jesus is going to return. And we are to live our lives as if he was going to return in this very hour, this very night, next week, very soon. Because when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things Right. And so we can be patient knowing that the Lord's going to make all things right when he chooses to return, which can be at any time. The second things that uh, the reason why James reminds us why we should be patient is that good things will come out of it. He gives the example of farmers who planted seed. They had the early rains um, in late fall. Then they had to wait for the, um, uh, the early rains of, of the new year and maybe March or, or April. And then over time, the crops would uh would come to fruition. And this was the livelihood of the farmers. And they would eat of the produce and the Lord would provide. And James reminds us, if we're patient, if we're trusting in the Lord, we're looking for his return, good things will happen. Lord will do a sanctifying work in your spirit and um, you'll see the Lord at work. Um, so sometimes it's very hard to be patient because when we see injustice, we immediately want to act. We immediately want to call for change. And there's something about justice that is so important for us to, to fight for. But there's also something about patience that's very important, that uh, when we show patience and trust in the Lord um, and we say, Lord, you're going to deliver. We're going to trust you. We're going to pray to you. Uh, we know that you're, uh, there, there's good things that you're doing at, at work right now. A third reason that uh, James gives 
why we should be patient in the midst of injustice is that uh, the Lord will judge. He will judge evildoers. And he will judge evil within our own hearts or even the people who are doing the injustice. He says, don't grumble against one another, uh, brothers, uh, amidst injustice, because you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door. And so uh, we can be patient knowing that not only will the Lord make things right, but he will judge evildoers. And uh, they may get away with it for a short period of time, but they won't get away with it ultimately. And lastly, he gives a fourth reason why we should be patient is, he says, um, to look to the prophets and to look to Job. The prophets were steadfast in their mission because they were resolved, because they knew what God wanted them to do. And uh, they could face injustice because they knew their life was about the right thing. And Job faced injustice. He didn't know exactly why these things were happening. He got bad advice from his friends, his wife. And uh, at the end of the book of Job, as you know, his um, God reveals himself to Job. And God basically says to Job, I'm God, you're not. I created the heavens, the earth, the sea. I sustain the universe. You don't. You should know, Job. I see everything that's going on. I know what's happening and I'm in control. And that's all you need to know. And Job responded at the end of Job saying, my uh, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. See, for Job, uh, what was important to him is that he just knew that God knew. And once he was reminded that God saw everything, God was in control, that God was um, had a plan for this and that God was going to take care of things, then Job was okay with that. And I think we need to remember this right now is that the reason why we're patient um, is because we know that God knows. We know that God is just. And we know that God is going to sovereignly handle this situation. So we want to be a people, not just of prayer, but of patience during this time. If you go over to the Apostle Peter, uh, we're going to go to a third and fourth uh, reminder of how we should handle injustice. Peter reminds us that we should bless and do good to others instead of return evil for their evil. First Peter chapter 3 Verse 9 and 12, Peter says this, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Um, Jesus modeled this for us. When um, he was accused of evil, he turned back to his accusers in the Gospels and he says, I have done many good works. Uh, for which of these do you stone me? And then they stopped in their tracks. See, Jesus was accused of injustice. He was accused of um, doing bad. And he knew that he was not going to return evil for evil. He was not going to re- return reviling for reviling. Um, that's what Peter reminds us of elsewhere. And why should we do this? Why should we return blessing and goodness for evil? Peter says this, this is what will happen elsewhere in his epistle. He said, if you do that, the pagans will see your good and glorify God. Peter says, if you do this, if you bless others and give them good and not return evil for evil, you will silence the talk of ignorant people. You will inherit a blessing from God. You will receive a commendation from God. Uh, You will put to shame those who slander you. Jesus obeyed and he trusted his father and he returned good. For evil. I think it's very important that, you know, sometimes evil comes to us in the form of injustice. And sometimes you see evil come to others in the form of injustice. And in either 
uh, circumstance. We are uh, to live lives of goodness and blessing amidst evil. We are not to return evil for evil. And, um, you know, this week there's a, a, a man from our church uh, who's been sleeping in his car. And uh, Lorraine and I and the kids, we moved into another house in the past month. And we're renting that house. And then we're renting the house that we were living in. And uh, uh, this man from our church, African-American man, is uh, coming to live in our house along with um, uh, five other roommates. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, God's going to bless that that house uh, with his favor, I think. But, um, you know, this man has, I've known him for many years, and he's experienced a lot of evil in his life, you know, in, in terms of his surroundings, the people he has been around. And um, it's good for him to experience blessing. It's good for him to experience goodness. And he's the kind of man, the kind of follower of Jesus Christ that doesn't return evil for evil, but um, he's patient, he's prayerful, and he returns goodness and blessing for the evil that has come upon him. So I want to give him goodness and blessing as well. Um, Lorraine and I and the kids, we decided that during the coronavirus event, uh, we would sponsor two new children from Compassion International from Africa. And, um, you know, uh, we, we thought that that would be fine. I think one from Africa, one from Asia, actually. And we thought that this would be a good use of our time and our resources. Compassion International, as you guys know, is a, is a Christian organization. Uh, they find uh, children in underdeveloped countries living in poverty, and then they get sponsors for these children where um, they get fed, they get clothed, um, they get an education, they get exposure to the gospel. And uh, we felt that that was really important, that those who had lived in evil need to receive blessing and goodness, and that would encourage them to bless others and live lives of goodness. Um, lastly, uh, Lorraine and I have a connection to the Union Rescue Mission. Al Skid Row is one of the largest uh, Christian homeless missions in the entire world. And we decided during this time, not only were we praying for the mission, but we were going to donate to the mission. And as you know, um, on Skid Row, there is a disproportionate number of people who are African-American on the streets. And so uh, we want to bless and bring goodness to those who have experienced evil and encourage them to do the same. I think um, blessing and doing good during evil is a very important thing in as Christian uh, because we suffer and we suffer injustice. And what I find is that uh, we love to follow Jesus because we love to have him forgive us. We love to have him save us. We love to have um, his goodness and love and patience and peace and compassion. There's so many, his truth. There's so many good things about Jesus. But one thing that I find that um, hardly any Christian uh, prays for or wants in their life is to identify with the sufferings of Christ. You know, sometimes we have to go through injustice or suffering or persecution where that's kind of thrust upon us. But the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three, he said, I long to know Christ and uh, the power of his resurrection. We love the power of his resurrection. But what did Paul say after that? I long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings. That there's something about suffering for the Lord, blessing and goodness amidst evil that um, brings us closer to Jesus, that sanctifies us. Every um, writer of the New Testament in some way touched upon the theme of suffering. And um, I think it's very important that we as Christians, uh, we often don't enjoy suffering, but we have to understand this is a vital part of how the Lord uses suffering and injustice to sanctify us. And so I would encourage you um, next time you're suffering to see how is the Lord sanctifying you through this. And finally, um, 
The Apostle Peter reminds us that during injustice, we are to be subject to and honor the authorities above us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13 through 15, Peter says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, this is what Jesus did. He, he, um, he submitted to Pilate and he submitted to the cross. He submitted to the governing authorities. He didn't believe it was right or true, but Jesus was not a zealot. Jesus did not primarily come to march in the streets for change. He did not primarily come to call for um, change in the Roman Empire in terms of how it was governed. Um, those might have been good things at the time. A lot of people might have fought for that or even today. But um, Jesus did not primarily do that, do that, or the apostles did not either. What they did was they primarily fought for change in the human heart. And they knew that part of following um, their father in heaven faithfully was to submit and to honor the governing authorities. I know that's a very unpopular thing to say. Uh, our political discourse um, is so strident now and, is, and with the current social unrest, um, that's the last thing people want to do. Um, but listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Titus chapter 3. He says something very similar to Peter here in 1 Peter 2. He says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. The Apostle Peter says to, to uh, be subject to every human institution. And this is the will of God, that we should be a people that we don't have to like evil. We can call evil for what it is, but we should be known as a people who, um, who honor and who are subject to the governing authorities. And the governing authorities, when Peter wrote this in the mid-60s uh, AD, that was uh, led by Nero. And if you remember, the people who uh, would have received this letter or read it uh, would have been right around the time of this massive Roman persecution of Christians. And so when they're reading this, it would be in the context of persecution or suffering for many of them that was either happening or just about to happen. And Peter says, be subject to the authorities. And uh, no matter how bad uh, you think injustice is in um, politics or politicians or law enforcement, it was nothing compared to what the Christians experienced in Rome. And yet Peter still said to be subject to these authorities because it honors God. I want to close with um, looking briefly at uh, a case study. There's um, a video I saw this week of... Um, a reverend who came on to a major cable news network and he uh, had basically uh, repented on behalf of the church to the world. He had uh, judged the church before the world and the implication being uh, the church, the world should see how the church is falling short in the eyes of the world and not just the eyes of the church. And so I want to take a look about uh, of this of when the church repents before the world. And um, I wrote down a lot of um, the dialogue between uh, the interviewer who was African-American and uh, this reverend who was um, white. It's a fairly uh, lengthy exchange, but I think uh, I want to read a few uh, questions and answers. The interviewer started by saying, um, you have been one of the few white evangelicals to criticize the president at a time when there was obviously great unhappiness and anxiety and grief in the country. Why do you think that that is? 
Answer, the reverend said, I think first it points to the moral collapse in our own religious community. There is a moral vacuum and there is an inability to muster the moral courage to stand up for this. I fear for them. He's talking about the Christian community, evangelical community, um, who don't speak up against the president. Um, I fear for them being in one sense of just in terms of reclaiming their moral authority, regaining a sense of ethics and what is right and wrong. And if they have lost that ability ability to discern that, then they are indeed in a very grave, dangerous place personally, and certainly as a community. The questionnaire then said, uh, what do you think about so many people um, leaving the church today? Answer. And that is true almost across the board, especially when you look at younger people age 45. And the younger, the younger, the worse the, the statistics become. Young people are leaving evangelical churches in droves. And why? Because they see the hypocrisy. They see an identification with establishment power, with political force and influence. They are tired of the combat and the social conflict and the wars. Um, he goes on to say later on, uh, I go back again to what is our message? What are we trying to proclaim? And if you look at the model of Jesus, and if evangelicalism is anything, it is Jesus-centered. Jesus being at the center of everything we say and do and believe and proclaim and practice all of it. The centrality is Jesus Christ. He becomes the model. Too many Christians segregate, and then he says this, too many Christians segregate the world. We are segregationists into the saved and the lost, those who know God, those who don't, those who are sinners, those who are saved and sanctified. And then he says this, well, that is not the way Jesus treated people. He treated every single human being with precisely the same love, respect, and dignity. And that is the heart of the gospel. For me, this is all about returning to my original faith, not renouncing my faith. And I, I listened to that, and there's a lot that could be said, but I just want to highlight two things of why I think this is dangerous. Um, yes, uh, he talks about Jesus being about love, uh, loving people and uh, treating people with dignity and respect, and Jesus definitely did that. Uh, Jesus is the center of our faith and the church, and so there's some agreement on those main points. But there's two things that happened here in this interview that really, I think, um, are dangerous. The first is... Um, the reverend offered up a critique of the church in a way that made it look like the church needs to repent in the eyes of the world. The church needs to be judged in the eyes of the world. Now, I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm not saying that there's not things that the church needs to, doesn't need to repent of. I mean, you look at the churches of the New Testament, Galatia, uh, they had a, a works salvation. Colossae had a bad Christology. Ephesus was not living out of their identity in Christ. Uh, Corinth was living in rampant immorality. There's a lot of problems in the church, both in the New Testament as well as today. What I'm saying is this. It is dangerous whenever the church of Jesus Christ presents herself to the world to say, we need to repent by, uh, to you. We need to be judged by you. Um, you don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. Jesus is not turning to the establishment saying, look at um, all the flaws of my disciples. Um, let them repent to you, the Roman Empire. Let them repent to you, Pharisees. And the, the disciples certainly had, you know, flaws, but Jesus never did that. Uh, he never turned and said, um, uh, Roman Empire, a Jewish establishment that rejects me, why don't you judge my disciples? You don't see any of the apostles uh, writing to the churches and saying, um, even with all of these problems at all of these churches, saying that they need to repent before the world, an unbelieving world. And this is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, um, when Christians have disputes and problems, settle it amongst yourselves as believers. And if you can't do that, just let one of you or both of you be wronged 
but don't bring your issues before the world to be judged by the world. Um, don't bring your issues of repentance before the world to, uh, to, um, to be judged by the world. And so um, there's a real danger in that because I think part of what fuels that when uh, church leaders do that is they're wanting the church, the, they're wanting the world to like them. They're wanting to show that in the church, we can be reasonable. We have our faults too. And so we just want to be humble before you world. And so that you world will like us as the church more and hopefully come to know our God because you see that in us. Now, humility is a great thing. Recognition of sin is, is an important thing. Um, but I think it really backfires on the church because what it does is when the church wants the world to like her, and we try and tell the world what the world wants to hear, instead of it leading the world to the church in saving faith, it actually turns the world off. I, I think the world looks at the church and says, you know what, thank you for that, but your capitulation before me as the world is just proof that what you have doesn't work. It's proof that what you proclaim to live and believe in and live and die for um, it's no better than what we have in the world. And you're just admitting it to me. Um, and so that's a big mistake that, that uh, is being made here. And secondly, um, what was said was that Jesus was not a segregationist. And we're not talking about slavery, um, but segregationist in terms of separating people into different categories. Um, and the argument is Jesus was about love and dignity and respect to, towards everyone. Um, and Jesus definitely did that, but Jesus has absolutely categorized people. Jesus absolutely put people in um, categories of saved versus lost, of wheat versus tares, of fish that will uh, be in the dragnet and fish that will be cast away, of those who will be brought into God's barn and those who will be left behind, of those five virgins who had oil and who will be taken with the bridegroom and those five virgins that did not have oil waiting for the bridegroom and were left behind, of those who were invited into the banquet and they came in and those who uh, didn't want to come and they were shut out of the banquet. Jesus talked about life and death, belief and unbelief, eternal life and eternal death all of the time. And it's very dangerous when we play down that message of salvation. Because what we then end up saying to people is the whole point of Jesus coming was simply just to show love and kindness to people. Um, and it wasn't to proclaim a message of salvation. It wasn't to proclaim that there is a reality on the other side of eternity where everyone goes either to heaven or to hell. Um, that there is a way to know God versus being uh, separated from God for all of eternity. And so that is the central message of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and save the lost. And so I think it's very important that we, um, as we pursue uh, what the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter were saying in terms of um, being prayerful and being patient during injustice, and that we bless and do good when we face evil and that we be subject and honoring to the authorities above us. Amidst all of that, we are also discerning error that's being talked to us uh, and told and, and fed to us, even by people who come in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we close this conversation on injustice this morning, um, when you think about God, 
Um, God's primary uh, goal is not to solve justice or injustice between people, as wonderful as that is, as important it is for God to see people um, come together in harmony. Uh, God actually has a higher goal, and that God knows that there's been an injustice that has been done to him by us. There has um, been a rebellion by us away from God. There has been a violation of God's law, and we are the unjust ones. And um, God has been patient, as Jane, uh, the Apostle Peter says in Second Peter, he's patient, he's long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But um, there comes a point where God will have his justice for all of the injustice that has come his way from me and from you. And the only way to escape that, uh, the punishment for that injustice, is, is Jesus Christ, to believe and to follow Jesus. He took the injustice that we had before God, and he took that injustice upon himself on the cross to die, to defeat sin and death, and to rise again from the dead, the Bible says, to offer us eternal life for all who would believe, all who would confess him as Lord, all who believe that he is raised from the dead. Have you done that? Uh, because it would be tragic amidst this social discourse of social injustice to, uh, to seek justice between people of different color and, and to, to want people who are rich and poor to come together. And those can be very good things. But it would be tragic to devote ourselves to those things without first making sure that we uh, have made peace with God, a just God, and to recognize that Jesus Christ has taken our injustice so that God's justice would not come upon us. Which are you placing your trust in here today? If you're going to work for justice in the world, uh, that can be a very good thing, but not at the expense of making sure that we're right with God. Are we following the justice of God and his gospel, or are we following the justice of the world and her gospel?